Discussing Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek, a Star Trek podcast and unofficial podcast about the CBS All Access series Star Trek Discovery. In addition, we talk all things Trek. Today, we are here to review season three, episode 12 of Star Trek Discovery, entitled There is a Tide. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts slash Trekkies, starting with none other than a Stargate story himself, Jeremy Barrow. How are you doing, dude? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be here. I'm ready to talk about this episode. Glad to have you on, sir. Also there in the Red Room Studios, we have Jonathan Shorts. How are you doing? <laughs> Greetings, Earthlings. I am great. Okay. Uh, that was <laughs> different. <laughs> I don't know. I really didn't know what I was going to say, and that just popped in my head. So, All right. There you have it. And also on the podcast, we have the Who Storing, Cal Jones. How are you? So I'm going to completely change what I was going to say and just say, this is already starting to be an entertaining way to start out our first podcast of 2021. Happy to be here. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Happy New Year, everybody. <laughs> I forgot about that, actually. Hey, I did, too. <laughs> I, I just assumed that a new Jonathan had beamed down to us for 2021. So, guys, you can support the show by subscribing, leaving a review, or telling a friend. If you have a review idea, please send that in along with anything else you want us to know to fans at DiscussingTrek.com or hit us at DiscussingTrek on any and all social media. Guys, we're going to dive right into our review of Star Trek Discovery. There is a tide. There is a tide is the 12th episode of season three of Star Trek Discovery. It aired on December the 30th, 2020. It was directed by the great Jonathan Frakes, who, you know, again, needs no introduction. The story is written by Kenneth Lynn, who also was also a co-writer for the episode Sanctuary. After capturing Discovery, Osiris seeks a meeting with Admiral Vance while Burnham and crew attempt to regain command of the ship. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you sprain something. Like always, we're going to point to Cal Jones for the, you know, comedic, sometimes serious, sometimes playful story beats of the episode. Cal, what do you have for us, sir? All right, so I think I'm going playful and comedic, hopefully, this time. So here's what I have in no order, but just in the story as a whole. So here we go. All eyes are in code on display, just not Inspector Morse. Put a call out to your mother as there is no other, in fact, rather than thought. But let's be real. The replicators are a piece of bleep. Now, it is with such sweet sorrow that this season is about to end. But before we go, dot bots powers activate. Hmm. Wow. There is a lot to unpack there. And I think we can go home after that when you pretty much explained it all. Yeah, I was about to say that was the podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> can we just name this episode dot bot powers? I, I, I want to go with that. I just think that's wonderful. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. With that said, let's go to everyone else and see what the high level thoughts of the episode are. And we'll start with you, Jonathan. What do you think? Man, what an awesome episode. Uh, there was there were a few issues, not major, a few, but still a great episode. And I absolutely love Die Hard movies. And I think mm -hmm. we got a trick one. Die Hard in space, 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 space. <laughs> Jeremy, what do you think, man? Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Frakes. Thank you so much. <laughs> Yippee-ki-yay, Mr. Frakes. Oh, man. You guys are coming with the quips today, man. <laughs> Any additional high-level thoughts, man? I mean, we'll, we'll get into it. I, like Jonathan, I had a few issues with it, but it, it was overall a great episode. All right. And Kyle Jones, do you wish to unpack any of what you gave us in the beats of the episode? I will just add that, once again, Killy rocks. I mean, Tilly, but Killy, either way, rocks. Just saying. Yeah. And for me, I have to say, guys, initially when I saw this episode, I thought it was great. I didn't want it to end, which is part of my problem. We didn't, you know, two-parter. We got half of the story. But what we got was good. I really enjoyed what we got. 
But man, I was really disappointed we didn't get any of what happened on the Kieth slash dilithium planet. That's that I had that in the back of my head the whole time, the the first time watching. Weird. And and it and it took my enjoyment away the first time because I was just expecting them to show something. <laughs> I was so glad that they didn't. That that added to me. It, I was so happy. I was the exact opposite from you. I, I was so happy they didn't. I think it would have slowed everything down if they kept going back and forth. It certainly would have. I, I guess in the grand scheme of things, it made for a better episode to have sort of this linear story that we got. But just as far as just the anticipation of what actually happened on that planet it's kind of what disappointed me because I'll just, I, you know, I had to wait two weeks instead of one to get any clarity. So maybe that's my problem <laughs> with it. Well, I, you know, my thing is that that whole dilithium planet art just really, I mean, I enjoyed it, but to me it was unimportant. And I guess because it was, it was all revolved around the source of the burn what well, what we think is the source of the burn, and if that is the source of the burn, it was very disappointing, which it made that entire art disappointing. So I was happy not to have it. Yeah, yeah, and and hopefully again, I know we keep saying this, but hopefully when we do get that resolution fully played out and fully on display, hopefully it is worth um, all that we went through this season, all of Burnham's troubles. <laughs> So again, never mind the source of the burn. We get a battle at Federation headquarters. So let's talk about that battle question mark. What do we think about Osiris Rift or or game to get within the Federation walls? I think I was wrong because I was convinced last week that the Admiral was bad and I was pretty like adamant, but I was wrong, I think. So that was the first thing that was like, hmm, you're wrong. Were you? <laughs> he did let him in. Mm, true. He he kind of knew. He kind of had a feeling, you know, like, did he? Like, my first thing would have been dispatch ships out to help Discovery before we let Discovery in. Yeah, it seemed a little weird. But I will give them credit for opening up a discovery sized hole for them to get in. But in the grand scheme of things, eh, maybe it could have been handled a little better. And, and and again, I still think there may be a bit of deception there because and we're going to get into it. But when Osiris asks, asks about the president, he doesn't offer up the president. He says, I can talk for the president. You know, it's just felt kind of weird in a Location as small as where they are or seemingly small. It looks like a small place. He, he can't bring the president for such an important discussion. I can see why he wouldn't want to, because she's a bad A, you know, still felt weird. But other than that, I do feel like Admiral Vance was very good and very um, admiralish in this episode. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> so, again, we, we start with Osira pulling this this trick to, you know, have the Viridian firing on the discovery to get within the walls, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, again, I wouldn't have lowered the shields before they get in. We get this conversation of Admiral Vance talking to the Lieutenant, um, you know, saying that, you know, Osiris has found a way to compromise my little Phil. She was able to jump with discovery, which leads me to believe they know an awful lot about discovery and they haven't really given us a reason, at least one that I can tell why they know so much. So do you guys have any clues or theories how Osiris and her scientists know so much about discovery? I may still be right. <laughs> I mean, either that or I think. Uh, last episode, Clarence, you made you this may have been you mentioned that, you know, there's a possibility book could be in on it. I hope not. That's going to be so disappointing. I was thinking book or Ren, but, you know, Ren doesn't make it to the end of this episode. So probably not him. Uh, Does he not? Did I miss no, that? No, they they take care of him. So, I mean, he, he still could be Ren because, I mean, he's outlived his usefulness at this point. He gave them exactly what they needed. And he was let go. True, but the amount of detail they know 
Yeah, that's where I was. I don't think Ren could have amassed that much detail in this amount of time. And I'm pretty sure he just hadn't been allowed to, like, run around the ship and learn things. It could still be that data um, port thing that Book unwittingly, unknowingly installed. That could be. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Hmm. No one has thought that it could be Adira. And her absent personality and their absent personality. That's what I was saying last episode. He just conveniently disappeared up until this point. Now he's back. That would be disappointing. But again, there could be there's a relationship with Vance. They really didn't go into. I mean, I think it's more to the story. (laughs) I think there's something we're not getting with those two. But as well, I think there's a mold somewhere that's leaking out information. And I mean, you think about that episode when Adira was first introduced and Stamets just like told her the whole story. Yeah, true. At first meeting, like, and now she's playing around with the spore drive and like she has every bit of information that Stamets has. So, yeah, possible there. Yeah. And and also I want to walk back my um how i went after tilly in the last episode <laughs> because really <laughs> after thinking this this episode made me realize how much they actually know about discovery and i don't blame tilly one bit there wasn't nothing st- um uh saru could have done because they just know everything that's going on everything so i can't even blame them for uh I blame tilly for that for getting the ship took although um they, they made a couple of mentions throughout this episode about it you know, kind of alluding to the fact that Tilly was the reason that this happened so easily. Oh, that was great. What do we think about the return of Zara? Uh, the guy from the Western episode, Far From Home, making a return to, he just went into Tilly upon immediately seeing her. He went after her for real. And it was great. Listen, I don't like him because of that. Like, I'm, I'm <laughs> all like, I'm in Tilly's corner right now. Like, I'm get off of Tilly, man. Like, <laughs> Like, can't you just die in the ice? But, but you know what? While I did not like him, and I, t- and I still do not like him, this reminded me of a producer-writer, Stephen Moffat, how he would write a series, a complete series, and have little things sprinkled out. And then in the finale, all these faces and characters show up in the finale. And that's what's happening with this. And I actually love that. Yeah, yeah. When he comes on the screen, Tilly is making his grand statement. You don't need to keep any of the hostages. All you need is the is the leverage of the captain of the ship. And then he's like, it's not supposed to be you. I'm like, oh, shots fired. Shots fired. He's like, you did a bang up job. It took us all seven minutes. So, what, I mean, so what is his purpose? Why did Osara choose him? Well, I mean, obviously he was one of the, I don't know if it's obvious, but he was one of the more ruthless carriers. We get that in the second episode, at least, that we know he's kind of a problem in that sector they were originally in. So maybe just made a name for himself and he's kind of, you know, one of the big baddies. So let me ask this question because maybe I missed it. Uh, Does the couriers, like, are they employed by the Emerald Chain or like, are they working for the Emerald Chain, or are they like just a splinter group of people? I think they're more like freelancers. Yeah, Yeah, I think so, too. But I think the Emerald Chain is like over all the hubs that they operate through. Right. Which I think Osiris even mentions in this episode when she mentions commerce. So we get a point in this episode where Osiris security chief is attempting to take over Discovery Systems by implanting their own code. And she does a a, a great job of it, uh, except for this one little piece, uh, which seems to be running in the background. So first of all, I applaud them for their consistency, because if if they would have been able to completely purge the the entity data from discovery, it would make the whole reason for them going to the future null and void. Because remember, right. they, they couldn't get the data out, which was part of the problem why discovery had to go. So thank goodness they didn't. They were smart enough to keep the storyline consistent. But let's go ahead and talk about Zora in this episode. And I'm going to point this to Kyle. Um, 
What do you think about Zora's program being downloaded into these dot 23 droids? Oh, I think that was like the highlight of the episode for me. Because you've had these droids just bebopping around there in the credits, and it's just part of scenery other than, oh, this is kind of cool. Look how technology has advanced. And to me, it was like, oh, crap, that uh, that was totally unexpected because I wasn't expecting that. From the start of this episode, like my thought in the back of my head was like, shouldn't the sphere data like protect the ship or protect itself? So essentially the, sh- the ship. So I was expecting like sphere data to come up somewhere and somehow uh, and I was almost disappointed until I was seeing that security chief said showed this video. I mean, the movie that they couldn't delete. And I was like, ah, yeah, there it is. So uh, and then from there, you know, I'm kind of like, oh, man, sphere data is going to be involved somehow. I'm waiting for it. Uh, but I think that was perfect. I, I think it would have it would have been a surprise for the sphere data to, like, take over the ship and shut everything down. But at the same time, it would have. I don't know, made it boring. Yeah, it really, if you have a AI that can't be stopped, it really makes, lim- it limits what you can actually do, you know? So I think they did elegantly r- keep it in the story, but made it part of the story, if, if that makes any You're sense. Right. And also I posted that screenshot at 3.13 into the episode. I posted in our Slack where she's talking about this data she can't delete, but then they go over to this screen on, on the wall and you see, like, just his face looking back through the freaking panel. Yeah. What the heck, that. man? At first, I thought it was Osiris, but it wasn't green. So I didn't, I kind of, I don't know. I kind of wrote it off as maybe it was just like biometric data of the crew. I don't know. They like took great pains to focus in on that for like a couple seconds. Yeah. So uh, that was weird, but cool. It kind of reminded me of the doctor in a way in the whole, you know, the dot 23s. It reminded me of the doctor in his hollow emitter where he could, you know, download his stuff into the hollow emitter. I think that could be a cool thing if they could somehow make Zora a part of the crew. That'd be freaking amazing. Or even if they, you know, put her into an Android or something, I think that would be cool. Um, we know in the short trick, which at this point I'm considering just an alternate universe thing, the Calypso short trick. But she does turn into a hollow and actually dances with uh, Aldous Hodge's character in that. So it would be cool if they can make her into like an actual walking, talking being, uh, which, you know, I think they're starting to do that with these dot 23s. All right. Another quick note there, that alien female there, um, she is the race is actually a race that we saw on the short Trek children of Mars. I'm not sure if that race is in any other part of star Trek. Not that I know of anyway, but she's also on children of Mars, children of Mars. So I thought that was pretty cool. Hmm. I didn't catch that. I found, uh, the answer to the question about the face. It says after Osira dismisses the extra data that can't be deleted in Discovery's computer, we see a pair of eyes seemingly hiding in one of the computer's screens. That's Buster Keaton, the famous silent film actor. The Discovery's computer was showing the crew Buster Keaton movies in the episode Forget Me Not. Hmm. So, okay, cool, cool. So again, that's like a reference to Zora uh, still looking through. Uh, Because I wondered if it was like a... Uh, Transformers, what's the uh, Bumblebee? Instead of talking, he'll show or he'll play like a piece of music that says what he's trying right. to talk about. And it feels like that could be the first piece of that with, with this image. And then later when the dots meet Tilly and friends, you see them show this video, the silent film of somebody falling down, which I didn't really get. But it could be like its way of communicating Although it did talk too, so I don't know what it's doing. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's where I was going. I, don't, I think it talks pretty good. Yeah, so. huh. well, it might be trying to introduce itself and not knowing, you know, how to do that. Or perhaps it just talked when it was among friends. Could be it. So, book and burn on race today to the crew, and we get a good reason why no one uses the carrier network because it's full <laughs> of space junk. So, <laughs> I, I, I can have a question here. I'm wondering, are these just old Borg warp transwarp conduits that they're using. I mean, it looks, a, it l- looks and functions a lot like those. 
Did you guys have any thoughts on that? I didn't because I was so enthralled with the morphing of the ship. (laughs) That was cool. (laughs) That was pretty good. Uh, But I mean, you're absolutely right. That looks a lot like the transport conduits. Uh, We know Voyager only destroyed one. The one leading directly to the Alpha Quadrant. So, I, I mean, and there was millions more. So. I'm sure they didn't destroy them all, so they got to be used. But then, if that was the case, then we wouldn't have been worried about trying to find dilithium. Wouldn't everybody be using them? Hmm. Or maybe that's why they're so crowded and cluttered. They might have been using them while they were at warp. I don't know. Can you use warp in that trip? I don't think so. Yeah, that's interesting, because it seems like they're keeping everything that we've known in as far as travel goals in canon, but still, if they could do use these things, why are they not? You know, and I guess they have a reason it's full of trash, but still, it seems like they could do something about that. Yeah, if that's your only mode of traveling, you know, figure out how to get rid of the trash. Yeah. Now, this this episode committed a cardinal sin for me, and I really hated it when they did this. So when Berman Book emerged from the conduit and they have this mission to crash land into Discovery in order to get on the ship. All they had to do was like a minute or two before they actually came out of the conduit. They could have said our communications aren't working or something, but don't do it right before it's most convenient to have communications. It was dumb. It wasn't well staged to me. Well, I took it as communications were down inside the conduit. No, they well, that could be it. That could be true, too. But when they emerged from the conduit, they said their communications are fried almost immediately. Well, because they when they emerged, he immediately tried to contact uh, Federation headquarters and it didn't work. And then that's when Book said, well, yeah, the communications are fried. Uh, it's just it's poor writing. I, I agree. I kind of I kind of have to side with you, Clarence. I can see what you're saying, Jonathan, but I think it's more so on the just kind of conveniently sloppy. Yeah. Hmm. Like we don't have the I mean, ba- the thing we need one second before it's the thing we need. You know, it's. I don't know. This is just I have a similar problem with another movie, a movie we just reviewed <laughs> where something convenient that is needed happens like right before they use it. OK, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just expecting too much. Well, I guess. I mean, I watch a lot of trick and I mean, that happens a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. Like right when you need communications, it's always the communications are down. Just the same thing when they're ready to. Like they say, well, why don't we transport them out? Well, conveniently, the transporter buffer is fried or there's interferences and that would interfere with the transporter. Being like it's always something conveniently causing issues to stop you from using something that would have made this a lot easier. Like that always happens. I, I, and I expect it no less. And, and, and maybe I would have liked the, a scientific explanation better uh, than, you know, it, they fried out right when we were touching them. To, yeah. Anyway, we move on. <laughs> they flew through a garbage scow full of crap. I mean, something hit the communications, I'm sure. Maybe I'm being harsh. That's 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 a nitpick of mine. That's a nitpick of mine. I do have a problem with how they got on Discovery, though. But it's, a, it's, the, it's the same thing. They The, the security <laughs> later lady has the one line once they actually are... Osira and the security lady are talking about it. She's like, oh, we let down our shields right before we came through the uh, the Discovery's shields. I'm like, why? You're being attacked by another <laughs> ship. Why are you lowering your shields? Again, bad writing. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, now to defend that, they'd have to lower the shields to get through a hole the size of Discovery. Oh, no. No. <laughs> <laughs> They were being attacked. You would not lower your shields. <laughs> true. Very true. But but I, I, true. I give them credit for at least trying to explain it away. Uh, but still, it's I'm nitpicking here. I love this episode, by the way. This is kind of what we do nitpick. <laughs> I'm just saying, how did they land in this bay and not die? <laughs> I, don't, I don't get it. Like, there wasn't any brakes, there wasn't any buffer, there wasn't any... Like, they just crash land in the shuttle bay and not go through the wall? They were going full speed, too. Yeah, I'll tell you how that happened. You want to know how that happened, Jonathan? How did that happen? 
that's what happens when it's the probably the lead character and the person that is associated with the probably lead character that's crashing into the ship. That's how that happens. So note to self, keep a lead character by at all times. <laughs> exactly. Unless you're wearing a red shirt, then you wouldn't make it. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, they should have had one of those things that Picard had in Insurrection when they had the, the little Jeep, the buggy running through the desert. When they, when they um, went off that cliff and oh, went into the yeah. back of the shuttle, they had like some bracers there to catch them. Right. They needed some of those. They needed something. That was just a dumb idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that ship should never fly again. <laughs> Yeah, if Bookship comes out again, I'm done with Bookship. <laughs> if that thing was strong enough to survive that impact, then I agree with you, Clarence. Communication, communication <laughs> shouldn't have been down. You tell me this ship can like flip into 85 different formations, but they don't have communications all of a sudden. <laughs> anyway. So we get to see Osiris have some pretty interesting com- conversations, especially with I'm trying to say this right. In in invigor, invigorator invigorator Arello. I don't know why there are invigorators and regulators. That that's new to me. But uh, uh, Arello is his name. So we see Kenneth Mitchell's return to Discovery, having previously played characters Cole, Cole Shaw, and Tenovic. Mitchell was diagnosed with ALS, a progressive disease that affects nerve cells in the brain and spinal cord. And I just think it's amazing to see the way they brought him back. And I dare say some of his best acting I've ever seen him do. Absolutely. The freaking scenes, the scenes with him and Stamets. Oh, my freaking goodness. They are so good. Uh, Any thoughts before I dive in to talk about this a little more? I kept looking at him thinking, okay, where have I seen this guy before? And he did do a good job. Yeah, he was he was pretty good. Like, and you know, I'm curious. Do you, you think that was CGI, the wheelchair thing he was in? Or do you think they actually made something? Well, he's been in a wheelchair for over a year now. No, so I know that. But that the thing they were in, the thing he was in in this episode was not a wheelchair. It was like a trick style wheelchair. Yeah, I think it's it's an actual prop with wheels that he had control over. So it was like an actual okay. wheelchair that he could control. Well, I'm just saying that would have been a, like hopefully he kept that when he left the show. You know? Oh, yeah. Take a home with you, son. That looks like a pretty awesome wheelchair comparing. Did anybody else get like a feeling of Captain Pike's future yeah. when they saw that too? Yeah, I definitely did. Yep. Yep. Just not as extreme because Pike's like comes up to his neck almost, I think. Yeah. And I guess this would be the well, 900 year later version. In the episode where so much of it began and ended, I guess, with action, you know, we said Die Hard in Space. Man, some of the acting in this episode was just amazing. We see uh, Arello come in here and talk about um, how remarkable the spore drive is. And that is, you know, he can't believe it's 930 years old. And talks about the golden age of science, which all good tidbits that I really love. And again, they know a lot about the spore drive. So he knows about the tardigrades. He knows all this stuff and says he even may have a way to replicate replicate whatever this is what uh, genetic this genetic uh, mutation, I guess, that, that Stamets has in order to be able to operate the sport drive. So all that info is good. But I think maybe the best part of that is when he dives into how he may have been disregarded or thrown away in a Syrah. Uh, he did. Osiro came in and helped them. And that did a lot to make. You know, you guys talked about the nuances of how Osiris is not a mustache twirling villain before. I feel like this episode and his remarks actually made me like her because you see she has some goodness within her, although although her means are not always good and she's not always good. So I I love they added that extra layer to Osiris character through through um, uh, through this dialogue here. You know, and I will pair with that, and you may get to it in a moment, but this is where I started thinking when I was watching this, imagining how in real life you have section number one, section number two that have been fighting and et cetera, and they have to come to the table and they have to 
humanize each other because isn't that when we don't see each other is when they it's us versus them not understanding each other and I, I think they did a very good job like you just said of not not necessarily quote unquote humanizing her but giving you a better understanding of her and you know I remember a, a conversation we've had when we were doing the what was it the villains bracket episode yeah, yeah. And we were kind of discussing, like, who was the worst villain. And, like, the thought was, really, there hadn't really been any true villains in Trek. There's been people that were trying to get to a worthy goal, but just the wrong way. Yeah. It's usually, and I think Osara fits right into that. Like, I, I understand what she's after she just went about it the wrong way and like you guys are saying because nobody's ever really met with her and seen her from starfleet we just assume the worst we vilify her without meeting her but once you humanize her it's you can kind of get understanding yeah but but even with that said i still think there's lines that can be crossed and obviously she does cross those lines yeah. yeah But but they do a, a a a great job of of um, humanizing her and, and making her I guess a little bit more relatable. But uh, Arilo makes a statement to Stamets where he says, "I believe you when you say she's more than she appears to be, but she is also exactly what she appears to be." One of several awesome quotes in this episode where he's just like telling her, "Look, you know." Does she do some good things? Yeah. Does she have potential to be great? Yeah. But you can't take that into consideration without taking into account what she is right now and what she has done. So it's it's sort of like we pick and choose things from certain people, leaders, etc. of what we like. And sometimes we put blinders on the other um, bad points or atrocities or whatever that they commit. So I just one of the several awesome acting and writing points in this freaking episode. So at Federation headquarters, let's go ahead and get into that. I really loved it. And everybody kind of has their moment in this episode. There's a moment when uh, Vance realizes that it's a Syrah on discovery and not the discovery crew. And he has, uh, I forget what he says. It's something about it. We let her in the front door, but he like turns and the camera zooms in like one, one of several awesome, you know, kick-ass moments in this episode where they really write it well and they frame it well. So I guess we can credit uh, uh, Jonathan Frakes for that. So Osiris does send over everyone on the ship other than the bridge crew and open up a line of dialogue with Vance. Were we surprised by those turn of events that she is all of a sudden, you know, having burrowed her way in here taking control of discovery and going to great lengths to do so all of a sudden she's opened up a line of dialogue with fans. Jonathan, were you surprised by these events? Absolutely. And till, and as of, as we speak right now, I still say she's got ulterior motive. Like I, I just, it's hard for me to believe that that was her reason for being there. I just, I just, mm. and I'm not saying it's not speaking from like, I have a theory, just like she has a, I, I, she's she's planning something like she's trying to take over Federation headquarters hmm. Hmm. like that. Yeah, that really shocked me. Like when she said that in my, in my mind, I'm like, don't let her on it. She's going to screw you. <laughs> she's going to kill everybody. And then, you know, we get into the ready room conversation and I'm like, oh, boy, she's lying. She's trying to some kind of virus is uploading to your system. Hey, Eli was there. Eli didn't say she was lying. Ah, uh, Eli. <laughs> that was pretty good. But let me say this real quick. That was why I really, really enjoyed that part because it they give you this idea that they are giving, they are taking, they are seeing each other. And then they come to that dramatic moment to where she's presented with something that she's not going to budge from. And you see this I'm going to use House of Cards. You see this House of Cards that they're building just fall away and everything that they've worked for for the last five or ten minutes just goes away because she's not willing to do that one thing. 
Yeah, it was surprising in some aspects to see how giddy Vance was over the proposition. You know, she wants to merge their commerce body in the Emerald Chain with with the political governing body of the Federation. You know, I don't think the Federation has ever really been known for commerce commerce per per se, uh, nor is it a main goal. So, I mean, honestly, I don't think it's a good idea. But Admiral Vance is there and he is feels great about the proposition. And I was really although I felt he did a awesome job in that back and forth. I was really a bit surprised that he felt so willing to to negotiate the peace deal. But again, um, he put his foot down, which I think I think was the right thing. Like you just mentioned, Cal. Just remember, when we're thinking of these debates and this back and forth, if we were to go into our own time, not necessarily in our lifetime, but in the last hundred years, if we would go back to, say, 50, 60 years in our personal past, we would look at Germany as being, you know, this is a bad state. This is not something that, you know, that you would want to be teamed up with and whatever. And you fast forward to today and Germany as it is today, not forgetting atrocities of the past, but is completely different and is considered part of the democratic free world. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's, that's certainly true. And I think of another example, which is probably the stark opposite is China has been more closed in. And lately they've started to open up, in the, I guess the last 20, 20, 30 years, they started to open up to more of the Western style of commerce and trade and things like that. And so it's kind of mm-hmm. the opposite example. But, you know, I, I do see the similarities. Yep. Agreed. Vance makes a hard stance. What are your thoughts on him actually trying to hold Osira accountable for her crimes? And maybe this, this might this might sink the deal. You know, he's like, nope. We can't do it. You got to you got to be accountable. I think he's totally justified. And I think he's right about having to do that because you you can't just bring this known criminal in to help be in charge without being accountable for her past. That's the line he needed to toe. And it has to be hard for him because I think she's coming with, you know, well, John, you said there's ulterior motives, but I think she's coming with some good propositions. You know, she's like, oh, OK, we'll start obeying the the prime directive, the Federation principles. We'll do that. We'll do that. You know, kind of iffy on the, the takeover rule of different worlds. She said, OK, 15 years we will pull out. You know, we'll, we'll be out of there in 15 <laughs> years, you know, which is sort of like we do. when We go somewhere for war. We don't immediately. Right. We kind of eventually get out of there. So. I, I think she came with some really some pretty strong stuff. And I know some people have even taken that that um, armistice deal she showed. And some people even like started reading that and trying to get exact details. Wow. Yeah. But but yeah, she came with some good stuff, man. So I, I and again, like I said, I felt like there's arterium arterium motives with Osira. Uh, and, you know, you mentioned Vance was all giddy about it, like he's just all for it. And <clears throat> I think he should at least portray that openness because there is a chance that this may be true and you can't just <sighs> deny it. But I feel I got the feeling from Vance that he was playing along to see what the end was. I don't think he ever intended on agreeing to anything in this meeting. Hmm. But he needed to. And to be a good admiral, I think that was exactly what he needed to do. He needed to play along with it so he could see what the end game was. And Jonathan, to make what you just said make 100 percent sense, the fact that he offers at the end the, the thing of you've got to do what Clarence and Jeremy were just talking about then what's what better way to make her say no to it than that? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And something else that uh, that has me puzzled and I'm wondering, are we going to get a twist? I really do. So the only one, only person we've really seen leave the Federation headquarters other than the discovery folks are, is the, is the Lieutenant, I forget her name. Um, but, but, um, the Admiral's Lieutenant, 
And they have all these ships, but yet they wouldn't come out to help Discovery. So I'm, and we didn't see the president. I'm wondering if somehow there is less, even less of the Federation than we think it is, is what we're seeing inside of there not real to some extent. I'm willing to bet that Vance is the one in charge of the Federation. Yeah. And just saying, you know, the president kind of gives him cover when he's in charge. Hmm. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Right. <laughs> well, I mean, at, and then at the same time, you just you wouldn't expect to see the president. I mean, throughout Trek, I don't think we've seen the Federation president more than I think I've seen him twice. Yeah. Once on Enterprise and once on DS9. I mean, sure that I haven't. So, I mean, I'm pretty sure they keep the president of Federation pretty guarded. Like that's, but then who knows? And the only thing really that gives me pause there is that they're, that they're in such a small facility, seemingly a small place, one location, it would be nothing to get them. But let's go ahead and um, we have so much cover, but let's go ahead and talk about Federation headquarters, because to me, I thought this was one of the more impressive parts of the episode where we see them walking around and going into these transporter like doors or when they walk through it they go to the next level i thought that was freaking amazing in the headquarters there is how you have the view screen on a ship they had like a wraparound view screen kind of thing so um i really like the visuals of what we saw in federation headquarters i thought was kind of amazing so let's get to some of the happenings back on discovery let's go ahead and talk about tilly and the crew we'll take this into three parts we'll go tilly and the crew and we'll go to burnham and the regulators and then uh maybe touch arello and stamets one last time but tilly and the crew um thoughts on the bridge crew taking on the regulators i think we've hinted this a little bit but any additional thoughts on that uh, and also tilly's command of this ragtag team any thoughts man tilly is commanding the situation i love it and I mean, and it's almost natural, you know, it's not, I expect her to fumble a little bit, but like it, like she takes charge immediately with no questions, no doubt that I think that made the scenes there. Yeah, I totally agree with that, that she to mean the way they're playing her is exactly like you said, there are people who learn how to do things. And then there are people who can do things and learn to do them better. She's someone who can do things and will learn to do them better. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And to me in this episode is the point where I didn't feel like she was pretending, you know, I yeah. feel I feel like a little bit in the last episode when she was in the captain's chair, was, she felt still a little green. But everything she said out of her mouth in this episode, I was like, OK, she means business. <laughs> she wasn't playing around. <laughs> and, you know, the way she commanded the bridge crew, I thought was brilliant. Now I do take, you know, that's the part where uh, where Book comes in and they're, you know, Book kind of second guesses her plan a little bit. And I, I didn't quite like that. I mean, I get why. And he made a good point. But I'm like, ooh, yeah, he, you know, it is, but I mean, you can't have Tilly 100 percent all the time. Then it'd just be not real. But see, I think Tilly kind of needed that humbling to reassert her right. abilities. Yeah, agreed. So let's get into Burnham picking off the regulators. Regulators! Um, <laughs> so Burnham begins her mission to actually find Stamets. Anybody want to talk about their favorite part of Die Hard in Space? Oh, man. It's all my favorite part. <laughs> I, I, I loved it, man. I loved it. From pulling the knife out of her leg, like, I'm like, oh, man, like, she's serious. She she has a mission and she's going to get this done. She doesn't give a crap how or why or who. Like, she's going through it. But I say the favorite part, and I'm pretty sure it's everybody else's, is when the regulators were, like, surrounding her and how she got rid of them. Yeah. You talking about the turbo lift? No. I mean, uh, the, the Jeffrey's uh, tube? I'm sorry. Jeffrey's yeah, tube. and the Jeffrey's tubes. When she vented the Jeffrey tubes. That was pretty awesome. That scene was freaking amazing. But I do have one slight problem with it. Oh boy! And, and the only <laughs> the only problem with it is they they only show that one lady going out the airlock. They should have showed like five or six people being floated out the airlock. But they did show more floating out in space. Did they? Yeah, they yes. did show more more people. I didn't yes. see yes. it. Yeah. 
Okay. I didn't see it either. But then again, this is Star Trek. You know, you can't kill too many people. <laughs> kill them all. With their red shirts. Like the scene right before you see her floating by the view screen is the scene where they show them all out okay. in space. Well, not all, but they show a few of them. Okay, well, that's a little bit better because I, I totally missed that scene. So nitpick taken back. <laughs> <laughs> now, I do... I do have a nitpick about Burnham in the Jeffries tubes. So she has this nifty little gadget that one of the regulators had. So obviously it's not being jammed from communications because, well, she sends a message. Yeah. Why was it her mom that she thought to send? And I get it. Maybe. I mean, it's probably just an instinct. Uh, I'm in trouble. Call my mom. But wouldn't you want to like... <sighs> Radio Starfleet or send a message to the Federation headquarters first? Huh. Was it like an was it like a direct communication or is it like something that's just gonna get it there was, eventually? Was, yeah, she sent it was like a last letter to her mother. Uh yeah. Why didn't she just like tell the Admiral that she's on the ship and I'm finna take this bad boy over? <laughs> right. In case I don't make it, tell Mama I love her. Cause I don't see how mama's gonna get there in time. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big plot hole to uh hole in the plot. A huge one actually. And what is mama gonna do? Now, what 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 it could be setting up for is the arrival of Vulcans to help. Well, that's what I thought, but that doesn't make any sense if she could have messaged the Federation that that she was right at with many <laughs> right. ships. Yeah, oh. but would that be also giving up if you're right about your hypothesis? that the Federation is just a shell, then if she's, you know, trying to contact something that's non-existent, then that that lets that cat out of the bag. Yeah, I thought it was more like an asynchronous yeah. message, more like an email that they'll eventually get. That's what I thought it was, but I don't know. Well, maybe. I mean, I, that'll make it easier. Like In my brain, anyway. Because, I mean, when they came out of the uh, Courier Network, the first thing she tried to do was contact Federation headquarters. Yeah. So, well, that was very important at that time. So when you finally have communications, why is that not as important? Or even when she sent that message to mom, why not turn around and then just send a message to Starfleet? And even if they're not going to get it immediately, yeah, at least put it out there. We're not wrong. We're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. So I actually did homework and watched Die Hard, which I hadn't seen in probably 10, 15 years. I oh, watched you didn't it. watch the Christmas Die Hard? You know, the first one is the Chris. Well, I guess both of them are Christmas, right? First two are, yes. Yeah. But well, yeah. I always count the first one as Christmas. But yeah, I rewatched it. And certainly the running around the ship barefooted, um, you know, <laughs> sans glass. We didn't have glass in this version, but I thought all that was pretty good. And we even get um, an almost 80s. Talk. I forget what she say. She said exactly. But when she comes out the Jeffrey's tube and she uh, makes the statement like I'm coming from for you, uh, Zarit, she kind of makes like an 80s style, you know, ah, I'm going to get you. <laughs> it was really good. It was, <laughs> it was, yeah, it was like one of those triumphant moments, sort of like the same thing that Vance had when he said, oh, she came through the front door. The cat, it was another <laughs> similar type, you know, build up moment, which I really enjoyed. So I think we kind of covered the Aurelio and Stamets um, encounter. So let's just go ahead and skip to the part when Stamets and Burnham kind of have the little conversation, which again, man, some of the best acting I've seen on the show is in this episode, man. Yeah. So Burnham basically has to make the hard decision on what to do with Stamets. And Stamets is, of course, the key to the spore drive and just you can feel the pain coming from him on this. You know, all of a sudden he's he's adopted uh, Adira and, you know, he is like, that's my family in there. My whole life is in that nebula and such a heartfelt freaking plea to burn him to to let them go in and pick up his folks. Any thoughts on all of this, you know? This last part of the episode when Stamets and Burnham kind of had their encounter. I actually didn't like it to me. Really? I want to hear it. Why? Yeah. Huh. I, I, and, 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 and I'm going to sound like a bah humbug here a little bit, and I really don't mean it to be, but I don't know if I buy this connection that he has with Adira so much so quick. 
you know, I, I don't now if he just has a a mentorship feeling for her, mm, I get that. But you're already saying this is my child or or them. I said her them. Um, but I don't know. I just didn't. It just I just didn't buy it. I fully agree with that, Kyle. I just felt that was you know they when he's talking about they adopted uh, daughters like they just felt so forced. Now, if they would have built that up over a season, you know, um, you know, and had this back and forth where she or they are saying that they don't feel a part of anything and then they build and build and build. And then he says that I, I would be on board a million percent. I just felt like you're trying to force them into a narrative or a unit that we don't really know that if Adira wants to be that or not, that won't, you know, for all intents and purposes, if she's, if they're human, then they're not looking. I wouldn't think for a family unit. I don't, well, I know John has a lot to say, but this, this is the time where I really felt it to be solidified before. Now I actually had problems with it. Had problems because I felt like Stamets was always prying into her business to a certain extent and into their business for us, into their business to a certain extent. So at this point, it really felt like the whole thing has been solidified. I mean, I know um, people who have, you know, taken taken in kids that weren't their their own and they're part of their family. I mean, my family has done that. I've grown up with people who weren't part of my nuclear family or whatever. And, you know, they're like a brother or sister. So um, maybe not enough time in this course of this season, although they did start this pretty early on uh, since the people are Earth. This is when they started fostering this connection. But I can get your point that maybe just qu- not quite enough time to solidify that connection. Yeah, and and let me say this before because I don't want to come across as sounding cold and uncaring. You know, just as you just said, I have family that are not blood family that are my family till kingdom come, but we weren't immediate families after, you know, a couple of months or something. That's relationships that built over years and you know or and, and you know you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, did, yeah. This this just felt quick. So I get it. And I, I agree. I do agree. Like when he made the comment that I have a child of my own on board and I knew he was talking about Adira and I, I had the same, I'm not going to say issue, but the same thought was like, really, are we calling them child already? Uh, but in his defense, and I go back to this, I keep going back to this because it really stood out to me when he first met her, he felt well, met them, he felt comfortable enough to tell them everything about Discovery. I don't know what that connection was or what he sensed or, you know what I mean? But like that's like Clarence said, that started pretty early. And to have that amount of trust in a deer from the beginning could have only gotten a lot stronger by now. Yeah. I mean, in addition to, I think also part of what they do is part of the connection as well. Oh crap, this is a super smart kid. This is right, you know, this interest, you know, part of, that's part of the interest, you know, people right. mentor people that are in their field, you know, mentor people in sports or basketball, whatever, you know, that are in the same field that they're in. And I can see people taking on that mentorship in that way. But, you know, uh, I agree that it did possibly feel a little quick. I, I do definitely agree with that. And they kind of have a connection that most people wouldn't have with Stamets. You know, Stamets went for a while having Colbert in his head and having himself in his head, like somebody else like was really there. He was talking to. Yeah. And nobody else could see it here. Like yeah. nobody understood that he had to deal with that by himself. And here's Adira dealing with the same exact thing. And he knows exactly how to handle that. Mm, good point. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and real quick, I know this is off, probably off base a little bit, but, you know, at so 2020 was a hard year. Kobe Bryant, like, you know, tragically died. And at his funeral, you know, I'm sure him and Michael Jordan didn't hang out on a constant basis, but he was like, that's my little brother. And he was up there crying as if, you know, that was his family. So it's not always that it's 
that close in the sense of my daughter per se, but it's still they have a connection that's more than just random friend. And I think Adira feels the same. I mean, she decided to transport down to this irradiated planet to save Cobra. And I mean, because she knew how much he meant to Stamets. Yeah. Yeah. And man, just the plea that we get from Stamets at the end to burn him again. Wonderful acting. You know, he's like, we came to the future for you. You know, we followed you. We gave up everything to be here for you. So you wouldn't have to be alone. And now she doesn't want to save his family. And then amazing acting on Seneca Martin Green's side, because she had to she still had to follow through with that decision. Yep. Even though his pleas were hitting home. The need of the many. Like, I I can imagine how that hurt her heart to do that. After hearing him say, look what we've done for you. (laughs) Yeah. Like any anybody else, if even if I was in that situation, I'd have been like, you know what, you're right. Let's do this, you know. But she still put the greater good of the ship and Federation ahead of hers and his, and did what she had to do. Which is certainly consistent with her character, even when it gets her into trouble. Right. She at least tries to do what she feel is the best possible outcome for the many, you know. And and again, well, other than that rendezvous to go get book out of out of jails. Uh, <laughs> other, than, <laughs> other than that. <laughs> but yeah, oh, a very burnham thing to do, obviously. And real quick before we wrap this up, guys, we're gonna go and wrap it up. But Osiris return to the ship. We finally see Aurello see the true colors of Osira. And of course we see Ren get offed by Osira. But but um, what are you guys' thoughts on Orillo, which I really think is a good character. He's almost like the the not antithesis, the he's this two sides to 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 a coin and Stamets is one side and Orillo is the other. You know, Orillo yeah. is the version of the same super smart, intelligent character, but he his surround his environment is a lot different and he's come to accept that and we get this moment where Sarah really makes some question what's going on. So do you think we're going to see Arillo maybe take a change to the good in the finale? Or what do we think is going on there? I think he's going to kill her. Well, I think so, too. <laughs> wow. <laughs> like, I mean, we we see that Arillo just like it's not that he's been OK with this. Like he is just he has no idea the kind of person Osiris is like, I mean, he knows that she has made some questionable decisions, but not to this extent. And now that he's seeing that, like, like he said, he is a good guy. I think all his purposes, he's a good guy. He thinks that he maybe he's working for a government that hadn't really gone about things the right way, but he just, he had no ideas to this extent and she's hid it all from him. But I think the good in him and the scientists in him is this is not right. And he's going to offer. Oh, no one would ever follow a monarchical leader just because they think they're doing the right thing. Nobody would ever do that. <laughs> no, <not laughs> never. <laughs> All right. People are telling me never. <laughs> well, we're ready to wrap this thing up and, and go around the horn and get everybody's rating for this episode. Jonathan, what do you got, man? Uh, I'm going to say one plus four, what gives it a five. <laughs> oh, <laughs> five all the way across, man. Great, great episode. Like I said, the two minor issues I had was the communication in the Jeffrey's tube and the crash land into the shuttle bay, uh, which really, like I said, wasn't a big deal. It didn't really affect the enjoyment of the show, but it was a kind of like, Really? Yeah. But not enough for me to subtract from my rating of a five of a great episode and a great semi final. <laughs> oh, yeah. The penultimate even. Jeremy, what do you think, man? I'm going to go with a 4.75. Hmm. It was good, but I still there's just still some lingering issues with Stamets and Adira that just kind of I, I just can't get past. It felt very quick. Hmm. Okay, fair enough. Cal Jones. 
So for no other reason that I get to say DotBot's powers activate, I'm going to give it a five. But I did love the episode, but I still like the DotBot's. What about you? No, man, I really, I really enjoyed this episode. Again, uh, I didn't, Jonathan really pointed out to me the shuttle thing. I really didn't have that at the top of my list, but I guess that and the, I guess communication thing still got on my nerves. But other than that, I really wanted just a taste of what's going on on the Dalithian planet. Be that as it may, I'm still going to give it a five because this was an absolutely freaking amazing episode. It's the type of episode that gets better when you watch it over again. And I really enjoyed it. You know, we had Asira eating some crap. So, hey, what what is there not to love about it? But, yeah, I really I really love this episode. <laughs> yeah, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> so is that, has that always been how replicators operate? Yeah. Really? They did, a, they did an explanation of it on TNG. And, I mean, they, they were not in so much... <laughs> <laughs> graphic detail about it. <laughs> but I mean they that's pretty much what they said. Wow, I did not know that. Did not know that. The more you know. But we have never seen anyone use the bathroom in trick. <laughs> and nor do we want to. That's what I was fixing to say. <laughs> Let's go around and see what everybody has been doing, watching, or whatever, listening to podcast or otherwise and we'll start with jeremy what about you man so last night i binged the, the entire third season of cobra kai like one night one season cobra kai man, till i die i've been looking forward to this ever since i saw the first two and now i'm ready for season four it needs to hurry up <laughs> i still have to watch that man people are really high on that show man you watch the karate kids though right yeah i'm old of course i did well, you got to watch this, man. It is freaking amazing. Freaking amazing. It's one of those rare shows that, that takes itself just serious enough to kind of play on that 80s kitsch factor without being goofy. Yeah. And some of the best fight scenes you'll see. Really? Okay, I'm mm-hmm. intrigued. Jonathan, what about you, man? Uh, well, for me, same. I've been to the third season of Cobra Kai. Well, almost. I got two episodes left. Uh, and I, I just have to rave about it, man. And coming from a, oh, I, I love martial arts. I was in martial arts for years through high school. So, and we always talk about great fight scenes. Jeremy just said it, great fight scenes. These are some of the best. Uh, it's just amazing, man. Just amazing. So, uh, that, and I'm a little behind. So I just finished the, uh, Mandalorian, uh, last season, uh, and that last reveal was amazing. Oh like, yeah, I think I yelled yeah. <laughs> out loud. So that was pretty good, man. So he, definitely Cobra Kai, uh, Mandalorian, and of course, um, what the Expanse. So Cal Jones. So I think I will not break tradition, and I will just say, if you are a Doctor Who fan, and if you saw the Doctor Who New Year's Day special, we will be reviewing that. And by the time this episode goes out, or shortly thereafter, it will be available at DiscussingWho.com. And my shout-out is going to be, again, His Dark Materials on HBO Max is freaking amazing. Everybody should be watching that. That's a great show. But... Also, Wonder Woman 1984 came out and I did watch it. I won't give a suggestion on whether you should or not. But if you have HBO Max, you know, it's there for you to do so. And if you come from that and you want to hear people talk about it uh, endlessly, go to DiscussingComics.com where Cal, I and Sergio, Kyle, Sergio and I, let me say it the right way. The three of us talk about the episode in depth and I'll leave it at that. So, guys, thank you, as always, for joining. You know how to reach us, as always, at fans at DiscussingTrek.com or at DiscussingTrek on any and all social medias. Thanks for joining, guys. And next week, we got the the finale of season three. Yay. (laughs) So until next time, guys, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek Podcast. 
For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. Hey guys, it's Sergio from Reality Breached. We've got a bunch of different podcasts over on our network at realitybreached.com, and one of my favorites is Shellheads, a TMNT podcast. Shellheads is a deep dive into the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in ways you've never heard before. From the early comic days to the current Nick show, nothing is off limits. Jeff from the Warp Zone Arcade joins me to binge watch and power read through a comprehensive library of TMNT fandom. Check Shellheads out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. For more details, visit realitybreached.com. Discussing Network.